0: Isn't it just a beautiful thing when your children come up and they want to be invited into the wonder of the gospel? To experience the beauty of what God has done and is doing in our lives. When I hear my granddaughter say, Opa, can we read out of the God book my... I just well up. Of course we will. Of course we will. And I think that's our prayer for all of us as we think about faith formation in our lives, walking alongside our children, and hoping and praying that God will continue to speak to them in their lives. This morning, we're going to hear of that. Our text this morning comes from Acts chapter 4. Before we jump into this text this morning, allow me to, to pray a prayer of illumination. Let's pray together. Abba, Father, Creator, and the one true God, we are here in your house. We are in our homes. Maybe we're somewhere else watching and taking this in, but we are offering up prayers with voices as one body today. And now as we take some time to ponder the message that you've inspired, Lord, we ask for patience. And we seek your wisdom while we together listen. Reveal to us in ways that that stretch us, in moments that challenge us, that your story may come alive, and that your glory may be revealed through its telling. And it's in Christ through whom our story is made complete that we pray this. Amen. So I want to just give a little bit of backstory. Um, I shared with the children that, that um, the Acts 3 moment took place uh, just after the Pentecost moment, right? And the Pentecost moment was where this, this new this spirit had breathed life into the church. And the church became the church as we kind of know it today through that Acts 2 moment. And then Acts 3, we encounter this man who was disabled from birth, and experience the transformative moment of healing through Jesus Christ. And although that was a, a wonderful, incredible moment for this man, there were those around him who were absolutely frustrated by that. And some of the leaders of the day came to the point uh, where they heard Peter talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they were frustrated and really said, how can this be? And so they threw Peter and John in jail. And that's where we pick up our text this morning. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 5. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had John, Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked, how was he healed? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is The stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So, have you ever had a moment um, in your life where you considered maybe a milestone moment that happened in your life? Questions like, and I'm not talking necessarily just about, um, oh yeah, I remember the day I got married or things like that, but perhaps other things in your life. Questions like, where were you when? Or moments you'll never forget. So for me, um, I remember where I was when I heard the news that Elvis died. I remember that. I remember where I was when I heard the Twin Towers got hit in 9-11. I remember when my wife let me buy Amazing Spider-Man 700 issue. I haven't even opened it. you know what, I I think we're going to have a hard time forgetting the impact that COVID has had in our lives. Right? We're going to remember these moments for a long time. Well, Peter was in one of those moments. He was in one of these, do you remember when moments in this text? He, He had many others, some not so good, but some powerful moments of, oh yeah, Oh yeah, and his backstory would actually tell us what the leaders of the day highlighted in our text in verse 13. For example, as a child, he would have been taught the Pentateuch or the Torah, which is the, five books of the Bi- first five books of the Bible, and his teachers, like they did for all the young boys at that time, would have assessed uh, Peter and deemed him either worthy or unworthy of continuing his education. Peter was deemed unworthy. So Peter would have picked up uh, a trade or, or followed in his family business, and that's why when we meet Peter for the first time, when we are introduced to him, he is a fisherman. And he's probably really good at it and probably had a strong business acumen. And for some reason, Jesus selected him and a few others for a life that they had not dreamt possible. Now, if we were to label Peter, uh, he might have been known as the oldest disciple. We make assumptions about that, so that's one way we might identify Peter. Peter was the fisherman who converted to pastor. That might be another way we'd identify Peter, and Peter was the guy who who talked far too often. And at many times before he even knew what he was saying, he was that guy. History teaches us that he was also the Christ denier. Based on these labels, he's probably not the first person that that we'd choose or want to have leading a group or a church, for that matter. And yet, here he is. Making like a significant declaration to the leaders of that day and to the world. But you know, the leaders of the day, they, this didn't make structural sense to them, just didn't fit. And then along the way, there's this fascinating. Oh, yeah, moment for us here as well as we read Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. And there's some words mirrored here in this text with what we heard in this Acts text. And it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others are saying Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And I often wonder when I read this part of the text, I wonder if Jesus was looking at the the entire group like I'm looking at all of you right now. Or was he looking directly at Peter? Peter? Because we find it's Peter who answers, saying, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, to which Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven, and I will tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build the church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I don't know if you heard it, but there's this this counterbalance, this, this mirroring rock and cornerstone in these two texts. Now, for a person who conventional wisdom and leadership had given on, Peter the Rock, not to be confused with the rock in the movies, by the way, but the first rock, Peter the Rock, became a key piece for the church. And it's his words that frame for us so much more than just a powerful sermon. There's a truth within it that perhaps we need to be reminded of today more so than ever before. Let me read his words to you again. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. To be clear, Peter's referring to Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, those of you um, who know me know that I, I work with youth ministry and, and have worked in this classes for a number of years and, and now work for the denomination overseeing youth ministry in North America. So a lot of the work that I do is, is, is diving into what, what are we learning about when it comes to discipling our children and, and young people and, and emerging adults. And there was this book that came out um, yeah, almost two decades ago now called Soul Searching. And in there, the authors, Christian Smith and Melinda Denton, um, coined the phrase moralistic therapeutic deism. And this phrase was used to describe the faith life of many of our emerging adults within the church. Now, this research in this book had been done um, and was a significant learning and is a significant learning for the church in North America as we come to understand ministry with young people over the last two decades but as a brief summary here's what is meant by what we refer to as as MTD or moralistic therapeutic deism there's five bullet points that kind of define it the first one is this a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life this is the understanding of 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 religion life uh, for young people with moralistic therapeutic deism. So they understand that a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Bullet number two. God wants people to be good, to be nice, to be fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number three, third bullet. The central goal of life is to be happy. And to feel good about oneself. The fourth bullet says God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life. Except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And the fifth bullet says good people go to heaven when they die. Now, there's there's certainly a lot here in this summary that requires um, a deeper dive, further dissection, but but for now, let me just share with what I read in a recent blog that might help us untangle this for a brief moment. The author said this, the the most important point concerning moralistic therapeutic deism, however, is not the difference between um, theism and deism, but how far removed from biblical truth some people, some young people are. The beliefs of MTD are not just isolated to millennials either. It seems that, that many people simply view God as a cosmic genie, as a divine bellhop. They view God as, as a roadside assistant mechanic. You don't need to know him. You don't know him, but you can call him when you're broken down, and he will come and get you going again. It continues, the most important thing, according to MTD, is is to be nice, to be good, and to be tolerant, and God will ultimately receive you into heaven. Now, this view is probably held by a lot of Americans, and it seems to be becoming the dominant civic religion which emphasizes the the kind of horizontal relationship between other people, but minimizes the relationship with God. In short, MTD puts humanity at the center and ultimately each individual at the center of his or her own belief system. Now, in speaking with a lot of pastors and youth pastors across Canada and the U.S., this this MTD mindset seems to be becoming more common within our congregations. And at one time not long ago, I probably would have been really surprised to hear that, but lately this language is showing up on my desk more and more. I'm not sure if you're sensing this, but at times it feels like we're living in a time where we seem to be far more distant from the heart of the gospel. I'm so grateful for the empty tomb reminder, our annual Easter countercultural moment that that helps us to bring us back to a place of, aha, aha. Oh, yeah. Where God is is gently triggering in our minds and our hearts a come back to me moment. We hear it in the ordinary voice, the Holy Spirit moment reminding us of who we are and why the empty tomb matters because it does. We struggle with worldly views of salvation while dealing with complex questions that impact us both personally but also collectively. And it's in our own identities that require a gentle and sometimes abrupt reminder of who we are. And quite simply, each one of us is a child of God. And 1 John 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. God has lavished this on us. That we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, MTD wants us to believe that faith is a part-time reflection of our life. But the reality is that we as Christians all reflect Christ in the world in all our words and actions. In everything we do and say. Whether we're at work, whether we're at school, whether we're at home, maybe we're on Facebook or Instagram or wherever we are, on social media. When we're together, and even when we're alone, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we assume we wear a Christ mask that we can take off the reality is we can't take it off as Christians. So what does that mean for us then? What does this mean for us as we think about 2022? We're coming out of a weird time, aren't we? The last two years have been really nuts. Like, I mean chaotic crazy. I think our time through the last couple of years and entering into now, it's going to force us to reflect on what it means to be the church. You know, we we may have this desire to go back to, to an old normal. But I think like this Acts text that, that we just kind of jumped into, I'm not sure that's what we're being called to do. I think we have an opportunity for what I'm kind of seeing as a new wineskin moment in the church. Now here's a few things I'd like us to consider as we we think about walking this road. We've already identified that we are children of the Most High. We are children of God. You, me, your, your parents, your children, everyone here, And this is is a fact that's of significant importance as we walk through our days. Our identities are rooted in a risen Savior who loves us unconditionally and represents us to our good, good Father, and nothing we can ever do will change that. So do we talk about that at home? Do we talk about that at home? Do we reflect on this in our daily experiences, whether we're at school, whether we're at work, wherever we are, do we talk about this? What it means to be a child of God in our everyday. Secondly, there's people in our midst who have something to say. They might be younger than us. They might be older than us. But you know what? They may be more educated, less educated. The Spirit has been moving. It's been stirring something in their souls. And we need to make sure that we give them space to be heard. A voice to be heard. Of course, now all things need to be filtered through um, our faithful Savior, but to dismiss them. Will do a disservice to them and by extension, a disservice to Jesus. So the question is are there people in our midst who have something to share, but we have not made space for them yet? Have we? And the last thing I want you to consider is if our faith must never be stagnant. But it always needs to be growing and learning as we try to figure out who we are in this world. It's kind of like riding a bicycle. It's kind of like riding a motorcycle. I've got a motorcycle and it's fun. But you know what? If I stop moving, if my kickstand isn't up, it is going to topple over. We have to keep moving. Are we moving? Are we moving? So many times in the last two years, God has shown up in my life in places that I would never expect. These and other God's got this moments have helped me to carry on even when it didn't make any sense to do so or I just didn't have the strength or the motivation to move. You ever had those moments? I've had far too many to count. But David beautifully reminds us by recording his own personal experience in Psalm 23, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our troubles, our comforter arrives and sets our peace on the rock of his grace. I want to read Psalm 23 from the message, Eugene Peterson's interpretation of it. As we consider our homes to be places of holy living. And these places of holy living are the places where we remove our sandals from our feet because we know that God is there. Our homes are places of holy living. Let me read this psalm with you. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid. When you walk by my side, hmm, when you walk by my side, Your trusty shepherd's crook, it makes me feel secure. You serve me this this beautiful six-course dinner right in front of my enemies, and then you revive my drooping head and my cup. It just overflows. It brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. And I'm back in the house of God for the rest of my life. God's calling us home. He's calling us to be light in the darkness. He's calling us to shine that light brightly. So let me ask you this. What's your do you remember when Christ moment? For me, I remember when Satan really tried to take a hold of me. But I'll tell you, I remember more and more clearly than ever when Christ claimed me as his own. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious, loving Father, thank you We thank you for your son who was given to us as the complete sacrifice for our sins. And what's beautiful about this, Lord, is that this, this only has to happen once. Thank you for life that you give us. a renewed, reclaimed life in the resurrected Jesus Christ, your son. The empty tomb is the story we need to share and let people remember and know how important a life with Christ is. And so, Lord, as we think about Peter and John as they experience a moment that they probably never never forgot. And we get to remember in the reading of your scripture a moment of healing, a moment of transformation, and a reminder that this can only come through a resurrected Jesus Christ. Thank you. Lord, as we consider our call as a congregation, as congregations, as children of the Creator, Lord, help us to shine your light brightly in this world. May we become communities of mercy-filled grace and love to those all around us. May we honor you in all the things that we do, all the things that we say. And in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray all this. Amen.